Thank you, ladies. One of my definitely one of my favorite praise songs. And as they were singing that, of course, the holy, 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 it just drew my mind right to heaven because that's what's going to be taking place in heaven. And then my silly mind started asking myself the question, what kind of I wonder which worship songs we're going to sing in heaven, because you think about generations of those that God has redeemed, different kinds of music, different words, different styles. Which ones are we going to land on? I don't know. That'll be good, whatever it is. But we just can think of worship in our uh, confined minds, in our experience. But it's going to be, I think worship's going to take on a whole new meaning when we, when we get to heaven. <clears throat> well, it's good morning. We looks like we're missing a few this morning. I hope everybody is okay. Maybe some are traveling. But um, we are, this is a communion Sunday, and so we are back in the book of Proverbs. And we have been studying Proverbs in order to become biblically wise. That's the intention of this book. It's why God has given this book to us. And wisdom has been defined as competence in regards to reality. And that is, there is such a thing as reality, and we would do well to live in it. And that reality has been given to us by God. And the first reality that makes us wise is acknowledging that God is the God of the universe, that he is our creator God, our father God. And once we we acknowledge that, all of the other things just filter down into the nooks and crannies of life. Specifically, what we have been looking at recently is being biblically wise regarding to parenting. And we have found scripture informs us, parents, that um, it's going to be a challenge. Parenting can be and will be a challenge. And it warns us of that in a few different ways. But one of the ways that it warns us that it's going to be a challenge is by tipping us off, if you will, uh, that in the heart of a child is foolishness. So we so our good intentions in parenting and all the books we read and all of our hopes and dreams and joys and so forth and desires for parenting. We just have to realize that they're going to hit. Sometimes they're going to hit uh, a little wall there. All of our efforts because of the foolishness that is bound up in the heart of a child. And remember, foolishness in Scripture isn't what we often think of today as just, you know, being silly. It doesn't have a lot to do with um, IQ. It's more of a moral waywardness. So the tendency of children's hearts, and we know because we've been there, and we still know because we're still there in different ways, but it's just to go wayward, is to not listen to wise words or good instruction. So though as cute as our children are and can be, uh, it basically means that we're not going to have to teach them to disobey us. They just, it's already, they're already pre-programmed to know that. They're pre-programmed to know how to pitch a fit. Pre-programmed to know how to cry for hours and hours and hours uh, just to get their way. Uh, pre-programmed to know how to push the limits, uh, to even disobey ten times in a row. To pretend not to hear you when you're asking them to do something that they don't really want to do. And many, many other things to get their way. So we have been forewarned and informed by Scripture that that's probably one of the biggest challenges of parenting. But there's another challenge, and that is to be fair, that we aren't perfect either. Parents aren't perfect either, and we don't want to parent 
with a persona that we're perfect and you're not yet. And so with that kind of superior attitude, we all need the gospel. We all need forgiveness. The fact of the matter is uh, we can pitch our own fits, can't we? And we can be frustrated as well. And we can overcorrect. We can undertrain. We can misjudge motives. Misdiscipline. Punish the innocent and set the guilty free as parents. So we all need God. We need God's forgiveness and we need the good news of the gospel. That is, we can receive forgiveness, but also both parent and child can receive the power of God to walk in the obedience of the roles that he has set before us. When we worship God as our Savior, and we were reminded in the book of Nehemiah the importance of worshiping God alone. As God being supreme and when we make God supreme in our lives, the blessings come and God redeems us from the foolishness in our own hearts and replaces that foolishness with his blessing. We taste his goodness. As we think about parenting and children and family, there's a verse here in Proverbs that is very powerful that I'll just start with and then we'll get into our first point. But Proverbs 29:17 says, discipline your son And he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. And I think that's a very interesting verse because we all long for our hearts to feel peace. We we want pleasures. We want the delights of this world. And the, the whole world is a blessing from God. All of creation was intended to be good. But I think it's just interesting as a reminder that one of the delights that God desires to bring to our hearts is within the... Uh, realm of family and family relationships and particularly marriage, but also particularly the relationships between parents and children. And it's kind of God's way of saying, you know, there, there's a delight to be had that cannot be replaced by any other kind of delight that I've placed into this world. And it's the delight of a good relationship between a parent and a child, just just a love and a commitment and that and that reinsurance of being there for one another. And it's something that brings irreplaceable delight. And I think if you've been a parent and you have experienced maybe perhaps seasons, hopefully more than that, where there's just this close-knit love and relationship and watching your child succeed, watching your child do the right thing, watching your child love the Lord just brings this comfort and peace to our hearts that is unmatched. By the way, um, just as a plug for the upcoming marriage retreat, I think we're going to hear an announcement later on. But uh, one thing, when I think about parenting, one of the things that Lisa and I read as we were trying to prepare for our children many, many years ago, before they were here, I'll never forget it. But it, And I've said it many times, but it said one of the best things you can do in your parenting, mom and dad, is to love each other. And that's marriage. You, you really it's hard to have the good parenting, the whole package without that marriage, because our children know how we relate and they pick up on that. So um, just as a plug for our marriage retreat that's coming up would be good for us to also maintain that relationship. Be mindful of that. So this verse is telling us that we open up with that there, there's there's these relationships that can bring great delight to our heart. And one of them is the parent and the child. But if you think about it, it works the opposite way as well, doesn't it? Uh, that parent, children can also keep us up all night. Uh, parent, 
children and, and depending on how we're parenting and how they're living and the choices they are making can bring tremendous grief to our hearts. And I think the message in that verse is that it doesn't just happen. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. There's work involved. There's, um, there's diligence involved. There's being prepared. There's instruction. There's working involved. But there's that possibility that is always there for us if we are willing to walk in the ways of God and trust the Lord for that. If we're willing to care for, nurture, and shepherd our children's hearts. So this is the kind of family I think that God wants, a family that is filled with joy and delight. And it's a it is a uh, something that can be attainable. I know just from my own experience that. Or how do I say this? Uh, I think our family was was filled with more um, joy in the relationships be, strictly because of the scriptural upbringing. From turning to the Bible uh, to know how to relate and have how to love and have a relationship. And so the Lord offers us that and he helps us to be biblically wise in our parenting. So we read Proverbs and we're thinking about wise parenting and we've there are two basic ways to bring our children up in the Lord. And that's through instruction and correction. And we've already looked at. Instruction Instruction has to do with the information. It has to do with conforming our children's hearts to the image of Christ. So we're, we're putting into them. Correction has to do with driving out. Instruction and correction aren't the same thing, but they're workmates. You can't have one without the other. Both are needed in parenting. And if you had to kind of um, say, well, what exactly is the difference? Because they do overlap. Instructing has more to do with putting things in and correcting has more to do with driving the foolishness out. So that's how they work together. The first verse or first point is the rod and driving out foolishness. We'll hear it again in Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Okay. So then what? But the rod of discipline Drives it far from it. Now, the idea is that children can't be left on their own to deal with the own sinful inclinations of the heart. They need external help. Uh, there's foolish inclina- inclinations there that will be acted upon if there is not someone, if there are not some boundaries and safeguards and someone there to help them. So training sometimes requires a uh, Physical punishment or what we would call corporal punishment. It's needed sometimes to pry out maybe the most stubborn kinds of foolishness in our hearts. And many Proverbs actually refer to this rod of discipline. So what exactly is it? The rod of discipline. Well, the Hebrew word basically describes primarily like a staff or a rod that a shepherd would carry. And shepherding was a was a. Uh, Very popular occupation in that day. So people were very, very familiar with the idea of a rod and a staff and what you do with it. But it could also just mean a branch or a stick or even a root. And it could also uh, mean a scepter and could represent or symbolize authority. So all of those 
things come into play. But when you're talking about in the confines of parenting, you're, you're primarily talking about some kind of instrument um, that parents would use to help rid their children of harmful foolishness that is in their hearts. Just for FYI, out of curiosity, when I was studying this, I just thought, I'm going to Google rod of instruction. What, what is the world out there saying? Or we even what are Christians saying about the... Um, my verse says rod of discipline, and King James Version is rod of correction. And I was kind of disappointed in a lot of the articles I read about how primarily Christians wanted to define what the rod of correction was. And basically, it depended on what they believed regarding corporal punishment. If they didn't believe in corporal punishment, they came up with all kinds of different definitions of what it really meant. It didn't mean that you were actually to inflict any kind of pain. It was really disappointing uh, to see that it was not biblical at all. It was, it was very biased. Of course, those that believed in corporal punishment uh, took it at face value, but it was um, it just was... I kind of wish I didn't read some of those articles. Uh, but corporal punishment or inflicting pain is a biblical thing to do. And it is biblically necessary. It's not something we have to do all the time by any means. There are a lot of different forms of discipline. But it's a biblical mean, a means. And we are absolutely, when we talk about the rod of correction, not talking about child abuse. A lot of people blame Scripture for child abuse. That's not, exalt, that's not at all what it is. And I think by the end of this message, you will have a, uh, an idea of why it's not child abuse and how necessary it really is. And really, it's a beautiful act of love. But it's not child abuse. And if, if you're an abusive parent and you can't seem to control that aspect, please get immediate help. Because that's not at all what God has in mind when he talks about nurturing and shepherding our, our children's hearts. The purpose of correction is to serve as a rescue mission because there's folly there and that folly is dangerous and we can't count on our kids to rid themselves of their own folly, to deal with it, to, to, to call the right shots when it comes to these sinful inclinations. And so correction is basically a rescue mission uh, for our children, it's, it's designed to redirect a straying or unbelieving heart back into the circle of blessing, which would be the family that God has ordained and the authority that the parents have given over the children. That's the circle of God's blessing when we operate within that realm. So it's trying to get our children back into this realm of faith and blessing. It's not for the purpose of personal vengeance, as tempting as that may be. You know, you just really hurt me with those words and I'm really going to get you with the switch. That is not biblical correction. That's returning evil for evil. It is a rescue mission. It's for redemptive purposes. Hebrews 12:6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Interesting thing about that verse is when he talks about chastising, that's the, that's the word for whipping and even torture. And it's the word that Jesus used in Matthew ten seventeen when he says, I'm sending you out, talking to his disciples, I'm going to send you out. But be warned, you will be you will be flogged in the synagogues for taking the gospel out. So there is this this idea of 
uh, inflicting pain. And the idea is that we need to know when we're doing something wrong. We need to know that doing the wrong thing stings us in this real life, in this real world that we live in. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. That's a verse that people that say there's no, shouldn't be, the, biblical, the Bible supports that we should not discipline with corporal punishment, often ignore because it actually uses the word right in there, strike. Um, and it means to strike a blow. There's just no other way to describe it. So it's describing within the context of parenting what we would call spanking. It might be a slap on the hand. In the old days, before my time, it was a slap on the knuckles at school, I understand. Did anybody have their knuckles slapped in school? There's a few out there. Yeah. Was it effective? I can, I can see who... I, I can tell the ones whose knuckles are still swollen huh? from the discipline, though. <clears throat> so the, the goal is to inflict pain with the idea that down the road, this little bit of pain that's, that's dished out in love is saving you tremendous pain down the road. If our children heed our verbal warnings or our stern words, sometimes that's enough. You know, some kids are more sensitive than others. And just a stern look, there was times in church and we had a big family. We took up the whole row and sometimes we'd be cutting up as little kids. And there were times where if dad looked down the row at you, you better just stop what you're doing right there. You know, and that's all it took sometimes was a stern look or a <clears throat> or a stern voice. But that didn't always work. And so out came the, the spanky strap. Sometimes we might need a slap on the hand or a spank on the bottom, and uh, we are saving that person, really. If you think about it, just a simple example of a wood stove, if you have a wood stove in the house, you know, it's hot. And so you want to train your children not to, don't go near that, don't play too close to that, get away from that. And you might ask them and give them instruction, tell them why, but if they continue to disregard that, it might require spanking or, or something like that, because they could get third degree burns, they could... They could have to carry scars for life throughout their existence. It's the same thing with our with our moral or immoral inclinations. We're, we're curtailing these things the best we can so that our children don't have to carry the destructiveness and the scars throughout their life. So it's a rescue mission. <clears throat> now, my mom. So that's the rod of correction. My mom had a gift. And my, one of my mom's gifts was turning just about anything into the rod of correction at the time. And so sometimes it was a fly swatter. Uh, sometimes it was the Hot Wheels tracks that were all over our house with all the kids, the orange ones. You know, uh, sometimes it was a rolled up magazine, a wooden spoon, something, something quick to grab from the kitchen. <clears throat> you know, my dad used his hand a lot. He used his belt even more. And then for real serious violations, he got his fraternity paddle from Yale. It's a wooden paddle with a nice handle. And he would use that. Uh, and it, it would get the, 
the point across. But either way, I would walk away with a little red mark that's like an exclamation point. Yeah. It, it stings. It hurts to disobey. When, when you're going to walk out of line of, of authorities, when you're going to disrespect people, when you're going to break relationships, it's going to cause pain. It's going to break things down and you need to know it. And so that's what spankings were. They were reminders. And I can just tell you from my experience, <clears throat> I had a lot of spankings. I don't feel scarred from life for it. Um, and I think it's because I really deserved them. And I knew I deserved uh, I knew I deserved to be disciplined when I was. Um, most of the times my parents got it right. There were a few times when mom got it wrong and she believed the wrong kid. You know, one kid was more convincing than the other. I didn't do it. I didn't hit him, whatever. And so the wrong person got disciplined. There were a few times. But for the most part, mom and dad were, <clears throat> they were right on. And we were informed as kids, our household operates a certain way. And there's things you can do and there's things you can't do. And if you do the things you're not supposed to do, there are going to be certain kind of consequences. Sometimes it might be going to bed hungry without something to eat. Sometimes it might be being grounded or you couldn't go to a party or hang out with your friends and those kind of things. Sometimes it was a, uh, a lecture, which was very painful coming from my dad. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes it was a spanking. But we knew the rules and we had the choice to obey them. Or face the consequences, and that's what discipline is. And that's what it means to be biblically wise and a wise parent. The world operates in a certain way. The God of this world operates in a certain way. And there are painful consequences, depending on the degree that we engage in these things, that we're going to have to face. And so we want to know these things and learn these things in the safe, loving, warm confines of a household of parents that truly, truly Love you because people out in the world aren't always that loving. Um, today, they, uh, they do what they call, a lot of people do timeouts. <clears throat> I don't know. I can't say much about a timeout. That was before my time. It uh, sounds like torture to me. I'd much rather get a spanking and move on with my day than have to sit still as, as a kid. Um, but it may be. You know, if, if you experiment with that and that works well for you, I do know that I read um, one of the things behind the idea of timeouts is that it's for those that don't prefer corporal punishment. Um, and I did read an article recently that said they monitored the brainwaves of kids that were given timeouts as a punishment and spankings as a punishment and everything that the children internally reacted in the same way so that it was registering either one. Um, as far as the kids were concerned, there weren't there was not a difference if that means anything to you. But the argument today, I think a lot of times and it's been around for a while, is um, that corporal punishment. We should not ever spank our children because it is a form of violence and it makes our kids violent. And I would say that there, there's a little truth to that. Uh, obviously, violence begets violence. Um, and, you know, uh, passivity begets passivity. But at its very root, that's not a biblical way to think. That if if we um, spank our children, that that's what's going to create the violence. So where does the violence ultimately come from? What is Proverbs and what is the scriptures been teaching us year after year is that it comes from the heart. We tell 
that reasoning to Cain. Cain was born in the same world as Abel. There weren't all these terrible examples of violence out there. They had the same parents. And one child, Abel, he grew up assumingly obeying his parents. He loved the Lord. He honored the Lord. And Cain, not so much. His own heart took him in a different direction to the point where the time came, he got angry enough to slay his own brother in blood violently. That didn't come from the external things. That came from his own heart. That's why we have to shepherd the heart. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart for from it comes the wellspring of life. It all comes in there. And it's, that's hard truth to swallow, to realize that there, there, it has been said that every sin is in seed form in our hearts. And sometimes it never grows, thank the Lord. We never see certain sins. They ne- we never allow them to come forth. But they're all in there in seed form. The scripture says that a child is violent because the violence is already in there. And sure, if, if they're put in certain circumstances, uh, it might bring the worst. That We can bring the worst out of people or we can bring the best out of people. So there is some truth to that. But it comes from our hearts. And spanking, by the way, should not be a violent act. It's not intended to be an act of violence. If, if we're violent in our discipline, then we're not doing it properly. If we're, uh, if we're so angry at our children for what they've done, then don't discipline them in that moment. That's not a good time to discipline. Uh, send them to the room or send yourself to your room until you can cool off. It still needs to be dealt with. If you want to do it rightly, remember it's a rescue mission. And it's also about winning hearts over to good. You know, justice is important to God. Justice, obeying the law and facing consequences. But it's not just about catching our kids doing wrong and punishing them. It's about then shepherding their hearts and winning them over to do good. That's the bigger challenge than it is to catch them doing wrong. So punishment. Also, I think punishment should fit when we think about correction should fit the crime. Uh, we don't want to overdo it. And if our kids just did a little violation, there's no need to bring bring in the army and the tanks and so forth. It just there should just be a little um, punishment there. Also, sometimes there are natural consequences and our kids basically have already received their punishment and we don't even need to step in and do anything. Thank the Lord that sometimes there are natural consequences. So you told your child, don't go, don't go to your neighbors in your neighbor's yard and pet their dog. That dog isn't always nice. And they go into the neighbor's yard and pet the dog and they get nipped at and they come crying, running home and they got a little puncture. There's no need to, you know, drag them into the bedroom with a spanky strap after that if they've already suffered the natural consequence of their folly. We have to determine the things that are the most grievous to God, I think, for parents as how do we know when to come down hard? What's really important and what things do we just maybe let go a little bit or not harp on? Well, what does Scripture say that's important to God? What are the things that are the most offensive to God? Think about the Ten Commandments and come down hard on those things because those are the most destructive and the most dishonoring. Well, transitioning into our next point. It's interesting that Scripture doesn't say that love drives out foolishness. And you would think that it might say, well, love drives out all foolishness, but it's the rod of correction. And a lot of times we 
We, we want to divide discipline from love or even correction from love and say, no, we have to love our kids through everything. Never, never harm them in any way. Lay a hand on them. Don't discipline. You just pour that love and keep pouring that love and then everything will be OK. But that's not scriptural. The reason it's not scriptural is because correction is love, according to the Bible. It is a form of love. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So correction is actually, an ex- of course, done properly. It is an expression of love that causes our children to feel safe and to feel Sound. It shows them that we care enough about them to perform an unpleasant action. And discipline isn't exactly uh, a fun thing to do. You know, as parents, we get tired, don't we? We get tired of disciplining and correcting our children. We want it just to go away and we want to just you take the easy way out and, and um, just pretend it didn't happen or whatever. And that's, uh, that's not a good choice or a wise choice to make. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The idea is that to not correct and to leave that wayward heart to itself is actually an unloving thing to do. It's not a loving thing to do because that heart needs formation, needs boundaries, needs shepherding. And God puts parents in place to do that very thing. So it's loving to intervene and desire change. <clears throat> Correction's not fun. I've heard stories where uh, parents have cried more than the kids when a spanking is administered. You know, parents have sensitive hearts as well. We talked about in Ephesians this morning being tender hearted. That's okay to do that. But we can't spare ourselves the pain if we spare spare ourselves the pain of sometimes inflicting pain, then our kids can live in grief and grief that can get worse and worse from the foolishness and destructiveness of their own hearts. So loving discipline provides a safe place for our kids. Fact of matter is our kids know, of course, especially if they're taught right from wrong. Some of that is innate. They know what pleases mom and dad and what doesn't. And there's a sense we all have a sense of justice in us where it needs a price needs to be paid. And I remember growing up no feeling like I needed to be disciplined because I had done done something wrong. I needed to be reined in. I didn't want to be left out to do my own thing. I didn't have the self-control I needed. I needed the law. I needed that restraint. And that's what proper correction is. And it, it's loving to hold someone in check. And to preserve them from their own harm. And kids need to know that mom and dad will stay in there and hunker down with them. Because there's weaknesses and there's flaws. And that they'll stay in there and hunker down and be there with them and help them through these times. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. <clears throat> the rod and reproof gives wisdom. But a child left to himself. I already read this. Brings shame to his mother. Child left to himself. In the headlines of the news the last few years have been this um, case that caught my attention. And they used an interesting term uh, of affluenza. 
I don't know if you read that article or if you've been following that, but there was a teenager that had what they termed affluenza, not influenza, affluenza. It's a story of a, a teenager from Texas, and he was diagnosed. He had to go to court, and you'll find out why. He was diagnosed by his defense lawyer as having the, the, the poor kid had affluenza. His name was Ethan Couch, and uh, in an article by Hillary Crawford, I'm just kind of quoting things hit or miss. He became the subject of news in 2013 when he killed four people in a drunk driving accident. Couch is now 18 years old. He was 16 then when he was charged as a juvenile for crashing into an SUV parked on the side of a two-lane road while going more than 70 miles an hour. Four people in the SUV died. Couch also injured some of his friends inside his own vehicle. Uh, two of them were riding in the back of a pickup truck, so he's in a pickup truck. Though he pleaded guilty on four counts of intoxication, manslaughter, and two counts of intoxication assault causing serious bodily injury, Couch was able to shirk accountability for his fatal actions. He was ultimately diagnosed by his defense attorney uh, with the term affluenza, suggesting that he is a product or victim of his affluent and wealthy upbringing that involved being spoiled by his parents. So that's the approach that the defense lawyer took to try to help his um, client get off of this. And he actually and worked. The, the, the argument was the kid... He can't help it because his parents didn't discipline him. All they did was give him money. They were very affluent, very, very wealthy. And they just gave him whatever he wanted, but they didn't cause restraints. And so, therefore, he can't be held responsible for his actions. Now, I don't agree with that. Um, however, the, he was given probation. He didn't do any jail time. After all of that recklessness and harm that he caused in people's life. No jail time was given probation. And then the reason he came back up in the headlines was because he broke his probation. And he and his mother flew, fled to Mexico to try to escape the law. I don't even know what the latest is on that. I don't know if they've been brought to justice or not. But that is an example. A child left to himself. Can, can bring great destruction. Not only did he harm himself, and he has something he has to look, face the rest of his life, but he also brought recklessness and destruction into other people's lives too. And they'll have to deal with that the rest of their lives. And even the courts and even his defense lawyer recognized it as the problem was that he was, of course, his own heart, Scripture would say, but also he was left to himself. His heart wasn't reined in. A perfect example of what Solomon means by this proverb, which brings me to this last point. Um, and I'm calling it the sowing reaping principle. You know, as as a guy, as a dude, we love uh, bottom lines. You know, if you can just tell me in three minutes instead of 30 minutes, I would rather have the three minute version. And if you think about the big picture of parenting, this is kind of the three-minute version in about five minutes. So, um, <clears throat> I agree with the Apostle Paul's assessment of the big picture of life. And that is, you reap what you sow. 
And that's true for kids, kids out there. The way you honor your parents, the, the life that you're living, no matter how old or young you are, you are going to reap what you sow. And it's true for the parents, the way we parent and the way we live life. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. We want to ask ourselves, uh, what kind of parenting am I sowing? What what are going to be what what are what fruit is growing? What am I growing here? What am I nurturing? What will I weep? (laughs) Weep. Will I weep based on what I reap? That'll preach, right? So the sins are in seed form in our little ones. um, And they will corrupt their lives. If there is not loving instruction and loving correction. And Paul's saying, you know, God's not mocked. It's the same thing as being biblically wise. God works in a certain way. You don't escape it. There's no easy way out. There's nobody that gets exceptions to God's rules and laws and just the reality that we live in. You're not going to mock him. And you so just understand that you reap what you sow. It's just the principle. It's the way that God designed it. And so wise parenting, parenting capitalizes on this and should take this in mind. So we're always looking for what will be the final result of this action. This good thing I'm doing, is it working? Or these bad things our kids are doing or we're doing as a family. What is the fruit? What are we reaping? This is why a lot of parenting um, is dialogue as much as anything or actually more than anything else. We want to dialogue so we can find out what is in our kids' hearts because they're doing things for a reason. They're doing things, they're reacting because they're believing something. Ted Tripp says, we want to train the heart of a child in behavior modification. Consequences are the means of shaping or manipulating behavior in biblical correction and discipline. Consequences are a means of demonstrating in a sensory way. In other words, like a spanking or something, the importance of the spiritual consequences that are accruing in relationship to God, to others and to ourselves. So if your child gets in um, in trouble, you know, uh, you're. Your son is angry for whatever reason. He kicks over his sister's um, Lego castle and says harsh words to his mom. So what first we want to draw attention to the transgression and call him out on that. Wait a minute. We can't be doing what we can't be doing that. (laughs) That's you just broke some serious laws there. Then we want to dialogue and try to find out what's in the heart. What were they believing? What were they thinking that action would give them or bring them? What fear are they believing? What lie are they believing? And then third, point out the consequences to that. Now, if this is not dealt with, what are, what are the consequences? Let's just think about what, where we should go from here. It's not just about the destruction you brought to the castle, but their family relationships and relationships with God. What will happen if we don't do anything and if forgiveness is not sought? People, feelings will be hurt. Uh, it will be hard to love one another like this. Is that what we want in this house home? Or we want we want peace, we want harmony and close relationships. And also, if you don't deal with this in the right way, what's it going to do to your heart? It's going to get 
It's going to get callous, isn't it? If you're going to refuse to be tender about it and to acknowledge this transgression, then you're just you're just going to get your heart one step colder. And what happens to a cold heart in life? And then you can give examples and then fourthly point to God's way. Since you know that you've done wrong uh, now that you see that and you see the consequences, how would you think God would what do you think God would want you to do? How would God want you to react based on this? That's that's just a real quick synopsis of how we shepherd our children's hearts. You know, we're stewards, we're God's stewards over these precious hearts that the Lord has given us. And we want to prepare them for life because they're going to leave. They're going to grow up and they're going to leave uh, before you know it. Leave and cleave and have lives of their own and children of their own, Lord willing. I have said it before. I'll say it again. I appreciate the parenting that takes place in this church. I think there are a lot of um, biblically wise parents and we certainly reap the benefits from it. We want to keep the big picture in mind and trust in the Lord. And the goodness and the power that's found in the gospel. Keep up the good work, moms and dads and kids. May God bless the preaching of his word.